just to recap quickly, um, the, the major themes and ideas uh, that we've gone over so far, uh, it, the, I guess one, uh, the book is called Revelation, right? Or the Apocalypse, which means an uncovering. It's a revealing. We, we tend to look at it and read it and th- think of it as very mysterious and sort of uh, as a code. It is not a code. Um, it, is a, it is an uncovering. It is meant to be super clear. Um, it, and it is super clear, provided that you have read the previous 65 books and understood them completely. Um, it is super clear uh, once you've done that. But th- there is nothing new in it. Uh, so it's, uh, although we tend to see it as filled with coded language and as a predictor of, of, of things to come, and it does speak about things to come, it is not a code. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is meant to uncover and reveal things. Uh, the other big theme uh, that I've been hitting is the idea of genre, um, and that is this is a specific kind of book or a specific kind of writing that existed uh, and was very somewhat popular at the time that, that the Revelation was written, right? And there, there are actually other examples of it throughout the Bible in places like Daniel and Ezekiel and uh, even in some of Paul's writings. Um, the idea of an apocalypse, of a, a spiritual guide or a, a, a supernatural being coming to somebody and um, revealing or showing them things uh, about the way that the world really is. Right, that's, that's the whole idea of this genre of, of book, is the idea of an uncovering or an unveiling. Uh, and when you, approach, uh, when you approach the book that way, uh, it becomes much easier to understand what it meant to the people who received it, which is really the first step that we should always take. We always want to, uh, when we read this book, we want to think, well, how does it, how's it predict things that are going to happen in our future? Um, and that's really the wrong approach. What we should be asking is, when, when people received this letter, what did they, what did they think about it? What, what, what did they understand it to be saying? Um, and so we're going to continue that uh, along those lines, uh, which means I won't be getting a lot into, like, is this a code for this political figure or that political figure? Or does this, does this mean X or Y or Z? Uh, or, you know, does, is this passage about the Roman Catholic Church. I won't be doing any of that. We'll just be talking largely uh, about um, what it would have meant to the people who received it at the time that they received it. Um, And largely what it would have meant to them is that the Lamb overcomes the systems of the world, right? That there are, um, these are people uh, who, the people who receive it are under persecution, um, they are, they're being persecuted for their faith. They're being, uh, in some cases, killed. Uh, their, uh, their gatherings are being like, raided and, and disbanded by the government. Their churches are being, um, uh, you know, their, their leaders are being killed often. Um, and so the idea is, h- how do you draw comfort? Uh, or how, what, what can John write to them that comforts them? And what he writes to them is this vision that's given to him by God uh, about the way that um, Jesus Christ has defeated the systems of the world, not just in the future, but in the present age. Um, right? the, the message of Revelation is that, that the kingdom has arrived, 
Um, and Jesus has made, uh, has, has put every, it doesn't look like it in the present, right, all the time, but he has put at his feet every human system that there is. They are all defeated and all laid at, at, the, uh, at the feet of the Lamb. Uh, and those systems, at least in the context of this book, one is the Roman system, uh, so the Roman uh, ideological and political system where you're supposed to worship the emperor and uh, you, you know, do all of these other things that, that show that you're a good Roman with all the things that that, that entails, but also um, every economic, political, religious, social, cultural system, all of them, every, anything invented by humans has been laid at the feet of Jesus um, and, and is defeated uh, by him. And that's the message, right? Imagine being persecuted and receiving that message that the lamb has overcome, right? The, the lamb controls everything that is happening. Um, and at the end of time, everything will be made right. Everything sad will be true. Um, so that's, that's the message uh, of this book. So let's go ahead. We, we were reading through um, the letters uh, to the... So, just to recap briefly, um, John says that he is, John the writer, uh, says that he is on the Isle of Patmos uh, in exile for preaching the word of God. Uh, and he has this vision. Uh, and the vision that he sees is of this, uh, this figure uh, that looks like he is made of gemstone. Uh, so cl- clearly an angel or a spiritual being. Um, and it, it looks like the, the same guy from, Dan- from Daniel, and we talked about that the first week. Um, and the, that figure in this context clearly is, is Jesus. He's standing among these seven symbolic lampstands, uh, and he, he then explains to Daniel, well, these seven lampstands, or he explains to John, uh, these, uh, he didn't explain anything to Daniel, um, or explained other stuff to Daniel. He says to John, these seven lampstands, uh, are the seven churches of Asia Minor, and he lists them. And he says, uh, I want you to write a letter, uh, or a, you know, I want you to write something to, to each of the, the pastors or, or messengers of each of these churches. And he says, write down what was, what is, and what's yet to come. We talked about what was, and we're in the middle of talking about what is, the current situation of these churches at the time of the writing, um, and then a little bit later today, we're going to get into uh, the rest of the book, which is about what is yet to come from the perspective of the writer. So let's go to chapter two. We got through three of the churches. Um, remember the structure of each of these letters, or, or each of these small letters to the churches is there are words of commendation, right? He says, these are the things you're doing right. And then there are words of condemnation. Uh, yeah, you're doing this stuff right, but, but you could be improving on, on these things. Uh, and then finally, uh, there's an exhortation, uh, and it's usually, the formula is usually, to him who conquers, I will give X. So uh, we got through the first three churches, um, and we were at, where were we? Sorry. Uh, we were in verse 12, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, uh, and this is the, uh, the letter to the church at Pergamos, which I'll go ahead and read again, but not explain deeply because we read it last time. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works. Right? These are words of um, 
commendation, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwells. For I have a few, but I have a few things against thee, because thou uh, hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So thou hast uh, so hast all, thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, uh, which, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what, what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save, saving he that receiveth it. We won't unpack much of that I just because uh, we did it last time. But one point I didn't hit that I wanted to make here is um, we talked about how in Pergamos they had this, this huge temple to uh, Zeus or Jupiter. Um, and that's, that's the reference point here when he says that where Satan has his throne, right? Where Satan dwells. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago and defined what a gospel is, right? A gospel is the good news that a king has arrived. It's also the good news that a king has vanquished his enemies, right? He has, he has destroyed his rivals. Um, to these people, right, uh, to us, it's like, oh, they were, they were silly. They worshiped Zeus or, you know, if they were Norse people, they worshiped Thor or, you know, they had a temple to Aphrodite in, in Ephesus. Uh, and we find that, that ridiculous. Um, like, why would they worship these idols? But these people lived in a demon-haunted world. To them, it was very real, right? They, they truly believed, right, that these, these gods and powers existed. Um, and to live in the ancient world was to believe that there were all kinds of powers that you had to, to sacrifice to and, and uh, supplicate, and, right? Um, so uh, it's a very real, um, it, it's a very powerful truth to utter to them like you, you live where Satan dwells, but you're faithful, right? And, and God has subjugated every power to Himself, e- even these spiritual beings that you worship before. That they have no power over you now. I uh, I uh, don't look like I work out, but I do. Uh, I went to the gym this morning, uh, and we have a rack of barbells uh, in my gym, uh, and the brand name is Zeus. People, people used to sacrifice their children to Zeus, and now we use him for marketing, right? Like he, he has no power here, right? Jesus has, has subjected every power to himself. There's a, a brand of beard wash named after Thor, right? People used to kill their children and give them to Thor, but no more. Um, so that, that idea is very real in the minds uh, of these people. They, they literally believe that they live where Satan dwells, where, where a rival to Jesus dwells. So let's go on uh, before I run out of time again. Uh, verse 18, And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. 
Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her uh, into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. And unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast, but with that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So this is obviously dealing with a very specific situation to this church in Thyatira. And remember, each of these is a historical place. Right? Each of these is a real church with real problems and real people in it. Um, and this, this letter, right? it says, hey, you guys are doing a great job. Um, but there's this, this church member, right? this person that, the, the, that John calls Jezebel, or that, that Christ through John calls Jezebel, uh, who is um, who's causing a stir uh, in the church. Right? She, she's doing something. Um, and uh, it, it says, uh, she calls herself a prophetess. Uh, she teaches and seduces his servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Um, so she is, she's, it's a, a, a church member or a person in the church who is influencing other church members to compromise, right? It, if, again, if, if you worship one of these other powers, right, like, Uh, go read Corinthians and see all the stuff they got up to. Um, They had a a temple to Aphrodite in in Corinth uh, where, like, sex was part of the worship ceremony. That was what you did. Um, In in Corinthians, Paul talks about eating meat sacrificed to idols because that was a place where you could go buy meat, and it was cheaper because it had been sacrificed to idols already. Um, So the idea is you are... Are, uh, you have somebody in your midst who is uh, causing you to compromise with the world, to adopt the world's ethic, and to do the things that the world is. Uh, it, it, it's making the church indistinguishable from the culture. And like any other, like any other church or any other uh, religion, and that's not right. God wants you to be separate. Chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief thief in the night, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. Notice here he starts with words of condemnation, right? He starts with the bad stuff, and then he moves on to the good. He's like, you guys stink, but even so, some of you are, are doing the right thing. 
Um, he that overcometh, uh, thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, verse 4, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his book out of the name of, uh, out, his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall, no, he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Um, so, n- not, uh, not super, super clear uh, what, what the conditions are in the church at Philadelphia um, or in the church uh, at Sardis, but they seem to be uh, doing worse than the others, right? It, we, we, seem to be, we seem to be going from Ephesus, uh, you are doing well, but you've lost your first love, to now we're getting down to, well, some of you are doing okay. Um, some of you are all right. Um, and we're getting to, uh, uh, just to highlight some of the concerns here that are, are raised with the Church of Philadelphia uh, in verse 9, he says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Remember, this is a, an era when um, what people that Paul calls Judaizers uh, are right. A lot of Paul's letters are aimed at people who are uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish people who purport to be Christians. Right? They join this new, this new religion, and then they say, it, "This is, this is a, just a cult of Judaism. So you should be a lot more like Jews than you are like whatever it is that you are." Uh, and so they want they want these churches to adopt Jewish practice. They want these churches to adopt uh, Jewish ways of doing things, including the idea that the law is obligatory. Right, that's the one thing that's non-negotiable for a Jewish person. Um, the great split uh, in uh, the Book of Acts uh, at the Council of Jerusalem is when Paul says. The law is not obligatory. You don't have to follow the Jewish dietary law. Like we don't have to keep kosher. Bacon's cool, um, right? He says <laughs> says you don't have to follow like the ceremonial laws that are in, like the ones in Leviticus that we read a few weeks ago when I taught through that. Um, it's it's okay to wear polyester. He didn't say that, but it is. It's okay to wear polyester or mixed fabrics, um, right? You, the, the law is not obligatory in the way that it is for Jews. Uh, and so you have these folks who will come in to these new churches and not, not agree with that or not understand that. And so they're, they're trying to draw uh, 
these new churches uh, or these churches into a situation where they're like, well, are, are we supposed to be following the law or are we, are, we, are we really free? Is Christ's message really that we're free of the law as long as we are, are uh, as long as we exist in a state of, of allegiance to him? So let's go to the last church, uh, which unfortunately gets no words um, of, of, con- of commendation at all. It's the church in Laodicea. It says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Um, so a couple, couple thoughts here. Um, like if, um, I'm trying to think of a food that is lukewarm that I would enjoy. Uh, you, <laughs> you, usually, right? you, usually when you eat something, you want it to be hot, piping hot, uh, or super cold. Um, if if you get food that is not piping hot or super cold, it's you you will probably get sick. What's can you think of something? Hot chocolate maybe. Hot chocolate. If it's too hot, it's not good. But, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, kids are gross. So right, um, it, right. Understand this message here. It's it, if you were on fire for me, I could use you. And if you were super cold, if you didn't care about me at all, I, I could use that too, right? I, I, could, I can work with that. But if you're like, eh, Jesus is okay, that's it's very, difficult to, very difficult to use you productively because you think you're doing all right, right? And, and he goes on to say exactly that in verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counseled uh, thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou, may, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, uh, and I, I think that's so sad. This church has closed the door to Jesus. He's, he's standing on the outside and he's knocking, right? Let me in. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Um, there's a, a famous pre Pre-Raphaelite painting of, of Jesus knocking on the door. Probably, if I if I had gotten it to Josh in time, we could show it. But um, it shows Jesus knocking. Um, and I, I looked at that painting uh, just because I, I was reading this and I, I remembered that it existed. There's no knob on the door on the outside. Right? They have to open it from the inside. I just thought that was interesting and, and like an interesting way to interpret the the passage. Right? He, he wants to come in. Uh, they can let him in, but they shut him out because they have you know, 3,000 members and a, uh, you know, activities for every age group and, and uh, every population you can think of. And 
a school and a restaurant and whatever, right? It's, it's a, a representation of a church that is, has made it in worldly terms, but that they've lost what they, yeah, they've lost the heart of what, what made them a church. That's exactly right, Matthew. Um, so just thinking about these letters and trying to tie them together, the theme of, of each of them uh, is compromised with the culture. Re- remember that the, the, the overall theme of Revelation is about, um, it's about uh, are you going to buy into the world system or are you going to remember that the Lamb has defeated it? Um, and in each case, right, you have, you have people in each of these churches who are compromising in different ways. It's very clear with the Laodiceans, the way that they're compromising is saying, well, gosh, we're, we must be doing pretty good because we've got a lot of money, we've got all kinds of, uh, we're, we're enriched with, with wealth, we've got enough food to eat, we're doing great. Um, the Lord is blessing us richly, they probably said. Um, but the fact is, they, weren't, they were doing it for nothing at that point, right? Um, and the, the same is true of all of the other uh, all of the other churches, when he talks about the error of the Nicolaitans uh, or this, this woman Jezebel in, in the church at Thyatira, uh, it's, all of those groups are groups that are, are, are they're advocating um, some sort of compromise with the world system, whether it's a religious system or economic system or social system, whatever. Uh, they're, um, in each and every case, they're inviting the church to forget who Christ is and what he did uh, and, and to engage more, full, more thoroughly with the world system. Uh, second is uh, improper worship is a big, a big theme in these. Um, it's worship aimed at the wrong things. Uh, and then, uh, sorry, uh, this question of are the churches in the letters symbolic, I actually should have written as three points. Uh, there are three ways to see these letters. Um, one is, these are, as I keep saying, actual letters to actual people in an actual place at an actual time in history. These problems really existed. Real people received these letters and said, yeah, we ought to kick Jezebel out of our... Tr-. They, they probably talked for a minute about who Jezebel was. You know, like, it's got to be a code name, right? Can't, they would, nobody would name their kid Jezebel. Like, nobody now would name their kid Hitler. Um, so, like... Who, who is it, right? And they had to figure it out. But like, there were real people really wrestling with, with what these letters said and, and acting on them. So that's, that's the first like, level that they work on. The second is, right? I, I bet if you read these, you can think of things in our church, right? Or churches that you've attended or known about where that there's a problem in the church and it, it kind of sort of looks like a problem that one of these seven churches is having. Um, I think about that, the, the, um, the letter to the, the church at Ephesus and it has, how it says you've lost your first love. Uh, I think about that often because it's like, um, I love getting into the word. I love reading it. I love, um, I love delivering these messages to you folks when I get a chance to do that. I love writing. And I think... Am I forgetting the Lord of the work? Because sometimes I am. Sometimes it's exciting just to, to read and understand things. Um, but all of us have something like that. And all of us can look at these letters and say, gosh, I, I attended a church that had um, 
you know, you can think of any crazy, it had 16 concerts a week and, you know, uh, all kinds of programs for kids, um, but I, I didn't ever hear him mention Jesus uh, after a while, right? Like, so there are things in each of these letters that we can take and apply to a, a church, church uh, situations in every season uh, and every cycle of life. And then the third way that you can see them is as symbolic of church ages or as like the progression of the church, of the, 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 um, the church over time. And what I mean by that is you start with the church at Ephesus and you say, well, that's representative. This is what people do. This is representative of like the, the age of the apostles. And then you move to the next church and that's, that's after the church became established and it, right, and then you move to the third church and, it, and so forth until you get to our present age. Uh, which would be the, the age of the Laodiceans, right? The folks we just talked about. And I don't deny that, that our church, or our, not our church specifically, our, our church age looks a lot like the age, it looks a lot like the Laodicean church, right? We say we're rich and increased in goods and, you know. Um, but um, I, I guess I, I have a few problems with reading it symbolically in that way. Um, one, I, I, that means that... Uh, People from the beginning of the church till the present day, till now, they didn't have any right to look forward to the return of the Lord, because it, right? If if it's a progression, then it it has to end with this. Like all of the, all of the ages have to happen before the Lord can return, right? Uh, or else it, it the passage doesn't make any sense. Uh, so that kind of defies logic to me. Um, if you read the if you read Peter, if you read um, the works of John, if you read uh, Paul's letters, it's very clear that all of them uh, lived in the, the present expectation of the Lord's return. All of them were like, it's, it's got to be soon, right? They don't actually write that, but it's, it's very clear from their writing that, that uh, all of them expected that the Lord would return, uh, probably in their lifetimes. Um, so uh, I do don't think it can be symbolic in that way. Um, so, uh, we, we've disposed of the churches, and I've got a few more minutes, so let's go ahead and jump into the really complicated, difficult part of this letter. Um, just a thought, and we'll go ahead and start reading, uh, so I can say I got into chapter 4, and then I'll, uh, I'll start uh, explicating a little bit Chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard uh, was as it were a trumpet talking with me. So this is the, uh, the, this loud voice says, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Right. So we got through what was, what is. Now we're going to see the things that are to come. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold... A throne was set in heaven, and one, was on the th- and one sat on the throne. And he that sat uh, was, to, was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. It's like, a, I don't know what color it is, but it's a gemstone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps 
of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So, a, a bizarre imagery, right? Like, you, very striking. But it's also elsewhere in the Bible. Um, and I, I have on there seeing in four dimensions. Um, I, you, you find in these passages and the passages that follow that John uses uh, the language of metaphor and simile a lot. Uh, you can count the number of times that he says, it was like unto, right? It, it, it wasn't that, but it was like it. Uh, what you have here is a guy who is struggling to describe something that is indescribable um, and that, that probably involves senses that we aren't fully equipped to think about or have. Um, and I think about like, a, um, I know many people in here probably have probably owned a dog in your lifetime, right? Dogs have, uh, they can smell things that you or, you or I can't smell. Right, they're, they're just able to. Um, they have senses that are, and, I mean, they have senses that are, are lesser than ours in some, some senses, uh, like sight. It's not always so great um, on some breeds. Uh, but they can hear things outside of the range that we can hear, and they can see th- or they can smell things outside of the range that we can hear. Right. At, at, that's their, their primary mode of getting about in the world is using senses that are very different from ours. Same is true of animals like, I mean, think of a, a bat or a dolphin that uses sonar to navigate its way through the world. Um, I think what you have in John here is somebody who is, um, it'd be like if I, I sat down and I wrote, this is what it's like to be a dolphin. Well, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a dolphin. <laughs> I, I, can, I can imagine what it would be like for me to have sonar, right? Like that, I can describe that. But that's not what it's like. It's indescribable. Um, so I, we're going to see that a whole lot here. Him saying things like, it was like, or I'm going to compare it to. And we have to realize that's not going to equal, uh, that's not going to equal what he saw. It's inadequate to explain. Uh, it's indescribable. So there, there are a couple of... Uh, and the, other, the second piece I have here, uh, or the second point I have here, is the divine council. So this is a divine council scene. Uh, there are a bunch of places in the Bible where it, uh, it is implied or uh, just stated, right, that God has this divine, this council of divine beings or this council of supernatural beings who are, are there with him and he talks to them and uh, does things through them. 
I can take you to a bunch of places where this happens, like uh, Psalm 82 is a popular one. Uh, God stands in the midst of the gods, it says, uh, and he tells them what to do. Uh, and when they mess up, he says, you're going to die like any prince. Um, but uh, think back to uh, the, the, you know, the creation story in Genesis, right, where he says, let us make man in our image. Well, who's he talking to? It's not, not talking to the other members of the Godhead, right? God is one. He's talking to his divine counsel. It's like my, when I tell my kids, we're going to order pizza. My kids aren't going to do anything. I, I'm going to do all the work. I made all the money, and I'm going to call, and I'm going to order the pizza, and I'll probably go pick it up, right? Uh, it's it's kind of like that. Um, so it's God talking to his, his divine counsel. And uh, I won't get into it uh, uh, or we won't turn to it, but like in Second Kings, uh, he has there's a um, there's a, uh, a a scene in the divine council where that's uh, pretty explicit, where God says, "How can we mess with?" Or not how can, um, Saul is displeasing to me, based King Saul, um, and he's like, "What should we do?" And one of the spirits says, "Well, I'll, I'll go mess with his head," and God's like, "Yeah, go do that." right? Like, he's just God. We, we, we don't have any visibility at all into the mechanics of the supernatural world, but it exists and it's described. Um, and we don't know, like, could God do everything himself? Yes. He made the universe with a word. But, but it, for whatever reason, it pleases him sometimes to use human agents, and sometimes it pleases him uh, to use supernatural agents, this council. He doesn't need their advice, but they exist. Um, and that's what this scene is that we're seeing. It's God sitting in the midst of the divine council. Let's go ahead and turn really quickly to Ezekiel because there's some uh, language that I'd like to, to read to you there that, that kind of tracks with what we're seeing here. Remember how I said uh, that this book is, there's nothing new here? Um, so in Ezekiel 1, uh, Ezekiel is a captive uh, he is in uh, basically a, what is we would think of it as a reservation uh, for Jewish people uh, in the land of Babylon, uh, and he has this vision. Uh, now it came to pass, oh, let me, verse 2, uh, in the fifth year of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, uh, so this is like 493, something like that, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, uh, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Uh, and I, I as Ezekiel, looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also, out of the midst thereof, came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings. And their feet were straight, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they, and they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another, and they turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces... They four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. 
Sound familiar? It's, it's those folks at the, end of the, at, the, at the end of the story, right? And we're here near the beginning. Uh, Thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward. Whither the Spirit uh, was to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. And it goes on and it describes what is a throne chariot. Uh, it's a, a, a throne that you would, it's a mobile a mobile throne, not a mobile phone. It's a, that was funny. Sorry, it's a mobile throne. Uh, like a, a, a king would be carried about in a, a contraption, like a throne uh, on a, that was drawn by horses. It's clearly what's being described here. Um, and it tracks very well with what we see in Revelation, right? It, this, is, this is God, uh, and he's there with his throne guardians, right? These, these four cherubim, uh, or these four angels uh, that look like beasts. And uh, he is there in the midst of his divine council, these 24 elders. Um, and we're going to we'll learn more about who they are next week because I've run out of time. But... Uh, this is one place where these 24 elders, like who they are is, is up to interpretation, but it's probably symbolic. Um, they represent the totality of believers um, because we, uh, as believers, are a part of the family of God uh, and members of his divine council. Uh, already, but not yet in its fullness, Right? And it, when, when, we, uh, when we reach glory, we will sit with him in the divine council.